into Amazing Spider-Man number 11 and number 12. Number 11 was written, well, both of these issues, written by Dan Slott. I don't think we're going to be varying here. Uh, This whole series is written by Dan Slott, so I'll just cover my butt right now. But uh, the art's going to change. So we got art by Olivier Coipel on Amazing Spider-Man number 11, and then number 12, Giuseppe Camancoli. All right, I'm just going to say my Appalachian may have messed that up. but That works. All right, Giuseppe or Giuseppe? That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. On Earth 13, that's right, that's the refuge Earth, Peter Parker and the Superior Spider-Man square off with Pete able to win the fight. Trying to figure out what their next move will be, Pete gives Miles Morales and and the ultimate Spider-Man from the cartoon universe, dimension hopping tech and tasks him with recruiting more spiders to help their cause. Uh, Peter takes a few friends with him in order to do the same thing and leaves the group under the leadership of Spider UK until he gets back. During this time, we learn of the inheritor Karn, an outcast from his family who is crusading across universes, reluctantly killing spiders, hoping to gain favor from his family so that he may ultimately return home and be accepted. We also learn of the father of the inheritors, a powerful patriarch by by the name of Solus, who gathers his sons, Morlin and Genix, to face off with the army of spiders on Earth-13. He's like, let's go, boys. We're, we're doing this. Uh, when the battle commences, the cosmic Spider-Man of that Earth aims to protect the rest of the army, but is taken by surprise when Solus absorbs the Enigma Force and kills him. Morlin is then able to escape with another key to the prophecy, the Scion, a young boy named Benji, or Benny, who also happens to be the younger brother of... Is it Spider Woman or Spider Girl? Uh, at this point in time, it's Spider Girl. Spider Girl. Okay, I put Spider Woman there for some reason, but it's Mayday Parker's younger brother, Benny or Benji. Peter and Mary Jane's daughter from another universe. It's Peter and Mary Jane, right? That that. Yep. They got married. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. Yep. So Peter and Mary Jane's daughter from another universe. When Pete gets word that Earth thirteen is under attack, he brings in a few recruits. Specifically, now you're going to have to tell me if this has uh, had a previous appearance. A spider from Japan that is piloting a large robot mech named Leopard. If I can find the YouTube video, I'll I'll bring it up. I don't remember exactly when, but there was a Spider-Man series, like Marvel licensed a, uh, a company in Japan to make their own Spider-Man series. Basically, they just allowed, to the best of my knowledge, they, they basically just allowed them to use the costume and to use the name Spider-Man, and then they just let him run with it. And it ended up being like Kamen Rider, Power Rangers, you yep. know, Ultraman type, the, the usual fare, like, you know, what's popular what was popular in japan at the time what's you know still popular in japan which is you know superheroes that fight giant monsters and giant mech suits um spectacular it is a thing it existed (laughs) i'm positive there are clips on youtube i will be happy to share them with you they're pretty great that's something i could i would normally get into but it's part of spider-man lore and i will not deny it you'd notice a little bit of like power rangers and, and ultraman before you get into 
the mech suit, there's always the scenes where he's fighting, like, you know, goons. Mm-hmm. They had the benefit of, like, you know, the guy that they got to play Spider- to, to at least do the do the fighting work in Spider-Man was a pretty sweet, like, decent martial artist. And he was doing, like, some cool shit as Spider-Man. He was, you know, like, leaping up and down construction sites and he was doing kung fu and he was... It was pretty... It was pretty cool. Like, if I'm thinking of the same series... It was of its time. Like, if you've ever seen, like, you know, Ultraman back in the day, like, uh, it was it was like that. That's cool. If you're into that sort of thing, which I am, then it's pretty entertaining. If not, yeah. it's not for you. And you I had on. a feeling. I had a feeling it existed. Dan Slott was on Twitter as he was writing this th- these parts, say, <laughs> like, showing people the art on Twitter, saying, can you believe I actually get to put this in a comic? <laughs> I remember that even he couldn't believe it. He was like, you, you believe this? <laughs> it's happening. Uh, so, okay. So Leprechaun shows up. Now we've got a fight on our hands between Solus and Leprechaun. And they're, they're, they're engaging in battle while the rest of the team try to find a way to escape. Luckily during her retreat, Silk has found a world. She's remember, she's hopping different universes, trying to keep, I think it's uh boring bricks off her tail. They're, they're following her. Oh, um, so she lands in this world that the inheritors will not enter. Unfortunately, it happens to be irradiated by a nuclear holocaust. However, Silk has found a bunker and she gets Pete the coordinates. Uh, and when Pete and the rest of the spiders arrive and get to the bunker, they are greeted by that world spider, Uncle Ben. Ooh, what a what a what a way to end that. Now, real quick before we hop into other things, I did want to catch up on the adventures of some of, some of the other spiders here, and we kind of already talked about them. Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, has found herself in the inheritor's reality which is called loom world where she has met the master weaver remember that's the guy that's opening up all these portals for the inheritors master weaver the master weaver gives her the scrolls that are important to the events that are unfolding and jessica only has enough juice left in her teleporter to send these uh, scrolls over to pete jessica drew is now stranded on loom world miles and where they call themselves the web warriors is that what it was called that's kind of an inside joke because that was that was the the subtitle of one of the ser- one of the Ultimate Spider-Man series that came out on uh, uh, Disney XD. Nice. Okay. It was the, the whole season was called Web Warriors because you know uh, fantastic because it featured a little bit like Spider Verse. It featured uh, you know alternate universe Spider-Man. That's spider great. People. Miles and uh, I mean we got the the Ultimate Cartoon Spider-Man there. Uh, we have you know they they, they have went and they recruited uh, i think pretty much a, a bunch of i want to say a bunch of spiders that are at least somehow associated with the animated universe of but uh, in particular <laughs> they dedicated a whole you know a whole half of a uh, spider-verse team up to this yes where they go into the 1967 original spider-man cartoon universe oh my goodness that was a great issue i just <laughs> i love that despite myself <laughs> I'm not a huge like I I I do very much like the original like 67 Spider-Man series. Mm-hmm. I like it. There are other Spider-Man series. There are other Spider-Man animated shows that I like way more. But I you know game recognizes game. That was the original one. They used Steve Ditko's artwork. Oh, I can't wow. I can't hate I cannot hate on that series. Oh, it was what it was at the time. It was probably like the coolest shit that any Spider-Man fan had ever seen, and it's iconic. Like that there's 
there's like a hundred and something episodes of that series. And, you know, if you grew up with it, this issue and and this particular interaction was made for you. Yeah. If you because... if, if you think the threat of the Sinister Six is frightening. Wow. Wait till you hear about Noah body. <laughs> <laughs> Noah body. Oh, yeah. man. It was good, man. I really did enjoy that. And this is also where you recognize, like, for all the flaws with this series, and there's a lot of flaws with this series, objectively speaking, there is flaws out the ass with this this whole Spider-Verse thing. <laughs> but, it, but this series came from such a place of love and admiration and, you know, nostalgia. So I don't know if nostalgia was misplaced, but... When it's something like this that's obviously done with so much affection, yeah, it almost makes it criticism proof. Not entirely, but it's like because this, you know, this Spider Verse team up, you know, that that little side story, it had very little, if any, effect or importance to the main story. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. It was cool. exactly exactly it was so much fun. If you're reading these in the order of the checklist, it's actually kind of a nice breakup of the sort of like relentless. Spider people getting getting you know, smacked up and up one universe and down another. Yeah, I can appreciate it on those terms. Dan Slott also said like this this whole series is going to have something for literally every Everybody. generation of Spider Man fan that has ever lived. Yeah, it's going to have something for the cats that grew up in the sixties. It's going to have for seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. Everybody, it had, and in this issue, you see, you know, it's the Spider-Man of ni- you know 1967, you know, animated series meeting up with the Spider-Man of you know like 2017 animated series, you know, mm-hmm. several decades later. They take the piss out of both of them. They make they poke fun at both at the quirks of both series. Yep. There's a little thing at the end where like Miles Morales like unmasks and and you know you know Ultimate Spider-Man is like you know is is Mad Men Spider-Man like you know also <laughs> like is 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 he the bad parts of the 60s too yeah like, yeah yeah which and is, there's a time and a place to explore that this was not the time and the place to explore that so I'm yeah glad they, I think yeah, they sidestepped it I mean it was, it, when you took it they didn't I'd say sidestep but they just it wasn't there it, the the racial tension because I think what does he say he says he pulls I the can't mask off. you're you're a high school like yeah. you're uh, <laughs> dot 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 high school student I'm like, exactly nice save. exactly yeah so I mean again it yeah, you're right. It, it's a, a respite from what we're getting. And I liked what you were talking about there with Dan Slott. He's trying to give something to everybody. And man, could you imagine just being a creator? You're at the you're at the head of writing Spider-Man and someone lays at your feet and says, here you go. This is what we'd like for you to do. Now, I don't know where the pitch came in. I don't know if Dan Slott came up with this, which I'm sure it came from his head. But regardless, sure. you, also, you, he, he has like uh, Christos Gage is his like co-writer is sometimes co-writer who wrote a few issues of a few of the side stories and, and you know a few of the um sort of tie-in books yeah so i think between the two of them i think they they conceived of a lot of this and yeah well and so you've got a lot on your plate at that point you've got to try and write a cohesive story while trying to please everybody or at least give it a little nod to everybody that would be interesting and, and you don't want to leave anything off the table 67 spider-man is an obvious thing that you need to go back and grab and make part of the story somehow and you better not kill him off <laughs> 
<laughs> he's gonna make some people mad but yeah you know what so watching miles go through and and those were some of the fun stories then uh in the 2099 reality miguel o'hara uh the spider-man of 2099 still has his hands full trying to discover any information they can on the inheritors but has but he's been able to capture damos in an inescapable prison so he's put him in this prison and damos can't get out of him can't get him out of it until damos kills himself and immediately enters a clone body so we have that going on over in the 2099 universe and of course we mentioned it before the scarlet spiders parker clones ben jessica and kane had a battle with the inheritor genics at his main clone facility in the end they were able to destroy the tech they used to transfer their essence into other clones so that that pretty much ends the that ends the aspect of the inheritors being able almost being immortal okay. pretty much um so that that ends that but in order to do that we have some consequences then riley was caught in an explosion and apparently died so i'm going to give you a few minutes here's where we have to start talking about clones because which was which was the thing i was not expecting to have to talk about with this series mm-hmm this is why Scarlet Spiders in particular and some of the stuff that happens in Spider-Man 2099 needed to be part of the main story. Because if you didn't read those, you have no idea whatsoever about any aspects of any of the clone stuff, which mm-hmm. is a big, important part of this story. It explains a lot. It not only explains a lot in this story, it explains a lot in previous stories. It explains why Moreland came back three times. Mm-hmm. Um because what happens in the story, like to, to clarify, is, is one of the Inheritor brothers uh, named Genix actually controls basically an entire alternate dimension that he has populated with nothing but, you know, all of these different facilities where all he's doing is growing clones of him and his siblings. And he's developed a technology where if one of them dies, their consciousness immediately gets transferred to a different clone. So it gives them the appearance of being immortal, which they're actually, which, you know, virtually they are, you know, every time they die, they just, their, their mind just gets transferred to another body and they just pick up where they left off. That issue of Spider-Man 2099 where they actually imprison Damos in Alchemex, which is the big, bad, evil corporation in, in the 2099 universe. Peter David wrote the 2099 issues. Peter David yeah. created Spider-Man 2099, legendary comic book writer, did not, for my liking, get nearly enough time writing Spider-Man as he should have. He's hit and miss with some other things. I know there's some other stories that he's written that were not that great, but he's always been pretty good on Spider-Man, and 2099 is beloved. Kind of escapes a lot of the criticism that a lot of people had of the 2099 universe because it was the only good one. It was the only really good one. Mm-hmm. The uh, the other ones were ranged from okay to crap, but Spider-Man 2099 was consistently considered the best best of the best and it was good even of its time in the 90s because it was peter david writing you know like off the wall sci-fi that just happened to have spider-man in it and when you do when you do doing when you got that combination of writer concept character you can't lose that's mm-hmm. you know spider-man 2099 was much beloved for that reason it was peter david and his element so he's doing all these 2099 issues which end up being very important to spider-verse 
I figured out what was going to happen with Deimos when they imprisoned him pretty early on. As soon as I, as soon as they let the cat out of the bag that the inheritors were using clones. You had one it, up on me. I thought he, I thought something crazy was going to happen. I didn't no, realize. I was like, well, shoot, he just, he does have an easy way out. I, I, why didn't I see it coming? Yeah, as soon because, well, there's one page where they really like make it obvious. I don't know if they made it as obvious, they meant to make it as obvious as they did make it. Hmm. But Miguel straight up says the for you know the the force field in the prison that's keeping him in 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 prison he tells him you know it'll kill you before you break out and then Damos just says oh is that a fact I'm like oh okay he's <laughs> oh, gonna <crap>. kill himself <laughs> I think Peter David kind of wrote that to be you know that if if you were really lingering on that you'd have got you, you you might pick it up mm-hmm. so I was like oh yeah he's gonna kill himself and then a clone's gonna come you know just gonna come running right after him this made this made for a great opportunity to you know cram Punisher twenty ninety nine. Oh yeah, mix, you know I'm sure, I, you, I'm sure you were I'm sure you were uh, enjoying that. Oh, I love to see it. It was he so lit him on he lit him on fire, man. That was he pretty did, great. too, dude. He's like uh, when he lit him on fire, he was hot enough to melt through the building. Napalm or something like that. He <laughs> there were some there, Jake Gallows. Good to see him there. Some of Doc Brown's chemically treated uh, Presto logs and. <laughs> flamethrower or something. I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is that they don't find out a whole lot from uh, dissecting, you know, the the dead Damos that Doc Ox Spidey ends up had killed earlier. They literally dragged his carcass to 2099 just to find out that the inheritors are vulnerable to radiation, which is something that we all knew pretty early on. Anyway, I mean, yeah. maybe not if you hadn't. Once again, if you hadn't read the previous story. Mm-hmm. I gotta, I keep, I gotta keep remembering. Like you know, this is if you come in cold and you haven't read a whole lot of anything else, you wouldn't know that. But yeah, that was a gigantic plot point in the in coming home in the original Moreland story. Was the reason you mentioned uh, the alternate Earth that's completely irradiated? Which, by the way, why it became irradiated? I love the reveal of that, and I'm sure you'll talk about that in a minute. We in in uh, coming home in Amazing Spider-Man in, in 2001. Peter kind of slowly discovers that Moreland notices, you know, by trying to feed on Peter, that something is not quite right about his sort of energy that he gives off and his life, you know, his life energy that he gives off, which is what the inheritors feed off of. Mm-hmm. It occurs to him the only thing that might be different or might be harmful is that you know the spider that bit him was radioactive. There's a big, ah, okay. there's a big to do made in that story about you know Ezekiel poses the question to Peter. He he poses the question. It was a huge question that it you know wasn't answered directly, but he he asks him at the beginning of that story arc: Did the radiation cause your powers, or did the spider already have the power? You know, already have the power to give to you, and the radiation just killed it. They don't answer that question directly, and I think that was a good idea because it leaves it open to interpretation. It leaves it open to whatever. It also leaves it open to Peter to discover that that uh, Morlin and later on find out all the rest of the inheritors are, are that's their one weakness. They're vulnerable to radiation. To beat Morlin in that story, he had to inject himself with a radioactive compound that almost kills him. Then when Morlin tries to feed on him, you know, it overloads his body and he can't handle it. He tries to run away from Peter and Peter's like, oh, no, you now, you know, now you're going to take your medicine and he kicks his ass up. Of, you know, up nice. and down, 
<laughs> all over the place. It's great. I can't recommend that story enough, by the way. It's great. All right. It's J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. It was their first arc. It was basically Spider-Man's comeback party after a very long time of being written like shit. Can't recommend it enough. It was the start of a lot of great things. The start of a lot of terrible things. That first three years of JMS and John Romita Jr. was one of my favorite periods of, of Spider-Man. And Ultimate Spider-Man was going on at the exact same time. So that was a really good time to be a Spider-Man fan. As well. Oh, yeah. It was I was getting two kick-ass Spider-Man books, at least two a month. Anyway, so we find out, okay, the inheritors are, invo- are vulnerable to, to radiation. We find out in Scarlet Spiders uh, that uh, they're u- utilizing clones. Ben Riley makes his ultimate sacrifice. I thought that was an awesome way for Ben Riley in particular to go out. Yes. They had portrayed him as an optimistic character. Basically, like, traps Genix on the roof of the building and then just blows up the entire top of the building. Because Genix tries to tries to say, like, you know, I've got clone facilities all over the all over the world. You know, if, if you destroy this place, you know, you're not going to do anything. I've still got clones everywhere. And they call his bluff and they say that may be true, but I bet you this is the only building that has the uh, technology to link your consciousness to all the other clones. So if we blow this place up, you have no connection to any of the clone, any of the other clone buildings. And he's like, uh. <laughs> and then Ben Riley blows up the entire building building sacrifices himself but it's that was a hell of a way to go out man that was that was pretty great so why i think you know scarlet spiders needed to be not a side series that it's the catalyst for kane too like like that is the catalyst that puts kane over the edge who's throughout most of that book is he's just struggling to keep his rage he's he's hanging hanging by a thread as it is because they they go after him pretty early in the story and he's already kind of a tortured character anyway you know he's a clone he knows he's a clone he's been through a lot of crap in in previous stories mm-hmm. so he's always been kind of off and and the the stuff that he goes through with with the other clones with with Ben Riley and with um Ultimate Universe uh, Jessica Drew mm-hmm. it's a good arc man like that's like Scarlet Spiders actually surprised me with how good it was it was it it, it was a good character arc for all three of these characters that probably deserve more focus as part of the main story like I'm going to keep beating that drum but it's true I will go ahead and throw out here a couple things I dug the outcast Karn again my first introduction to any of these characters the inheritors that is and seeing Karn go out there who's just kind of like this guy who's granted he's he's killing spiders across these universes and but you could tell he just doesn't want to do that but he's trying he's been shunned by his family and he's like the only way I can get back is just to show them that I can do what they're doing maybe they'll bring me back in if I could throw this out here, I kind of saw a parallel. I kind of saw like a similarity between like what what's going on with with Karn's story and what's going on with um with Octavius's story. Mm, okay, in, in that they're both kind of people that have done a lot of horrible things that are trying to kind of redeem themselves without really knowing how. Yeah, like, yeah. They didn't lean into that as much as they could have. That could have been a much bigger deal in the story. You know, the later issues and the later tie-ins kind of start focusing a little bit more on Karin and his redemption and that becomes a big plot point towards the end of the story. They mention like later on like you know you can try to get your family's approval all you want even if you reach the point where they, they accept you again they're still going to laugh at you behind their back Yeah. And do you want that? Do and you- that just makes the inheritors that much more of a sh- 
bag. They just like, okay, well, don't bring him home yet. Where, what's what's Karn doing today? Where's he at now? And they just kind of like look at him and they're like, okay, send him over to here. So I assume that they're just in, in charge of the portals and just have him going from, and they're in charge of bringing him back. He has no control over that. And, but yeah, it makes the inheritors that much more of a villain. They can't even treat their own with any kind of dignity to, you know, once they, you know, once they fall out of favor, you know. And I will tell you, one of the most upsetting parts of these two issues for me was Cosmic Spider-Man not like getting too many shots in on Solus before getting killed. I wanted a bigger battle than what we got. It was, <laughs> it was a pretty big battle, but yeah, it could have gone it, it could have gone longer than it did. You know, that's a common criticism of Slot is that he compared to how stories are told in comics these days, everything is decompressed for like six you know six issues or more. He's not that guy. Mm-hmm. He tends to write much faster paced stories that really sets Solus up to be a complete badass. Yeah, that was that was the goal, man. That was like you we got to establish this guy is like the baddest character in in the story for what comes next <laughs> in yeah. particular. Yeah, for sure. In in part 3 we get our Spider-Man versus Superior Spider-Man fight. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Coypel is still drawing the book at the the story at this time. So, it's a pretty cool battle. The the other thread as far as like superior spider-man is and this is true in spider-verse and it's true in in superior spider-man you know the series that ran for about two years is that octavius you know is unquestionably a genius and he is unquestionably like one of the greatest minds in the marvel universe but he's just such an arrogant prick <laughs> and it just screws him over every time. Yeah. Like, that's what real, like, his vanity and his arrogance and his hubris is what does him in. And he never learns from it. <laughs> and he never, you know, so. I love the way that that fight starts. And that's, that's, uh, Superior Spider Man just running his mouth to Pete. And Pete just punched him straight in the face. Ox, like, he, he can't believe what, what just happened. And he's like, okay, it's on. So there's a fight. And one of the notes. I had down here was like I was really surprised I understand why but I mean I was just like why aren't the rest of the spiders trying to stop this they need to work together probably when you were younger you've seen fights that you could have broken up that you didn't just because you wanted to see how they were how they ended up (laughs) true that's what this is Mm -hmm. it's like oh Shit, no, hold on. Let them fight. I want to see. I want to see what I want to see what happens with this. And they're making bets on the side too. Yeah, like <laughs> oh, that's great. That's what I would do. The other thing I had here, the subplot that uh it kind of gives Pete the opening here. Superior Spider-Man believes that he's facing uh, a past Peter Parker. Right. Uh and and like he doesn't want to hurt him because if he it's does, the only, it's the only reason he doesn't try to kill him. Yeah, it would it, he's obviously if I don't want to hurt him because in other words I'd jeopardize my own existence anyway uh yeah we got some definitely wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff going on with uh (laughs) superior spider-man here octavius you know spock in in this story is literally his experience of this story literally takes place in between two issues of superior spider-man from you know that we saw earlier you know years earlier wibbly wobbly timey wimey is actually (laughs) very accurate (laughs) very apt to describe that because if you're not if you're not familiar with like shifting timelines and like you know compressed timelines and you know like the concept of you know experiencing a long period of time like and then coming back to you know minutes after you left to experience that like if you don't get that you ain't gonna get this 
Yeah, the last thing is is that another uh, arc that I'm glad doesn't get too overplayed and like 616 uh, Peter like proper kind of embraces it after a little bit of uncertainty. He kind of accepts his role that, you know, he's the leader of this whole uh, operation. Octavius kind of fighting him on it and him realizing that he has to stand against this dude. Otherwise, if this guy ends up in charge, nobody's going to come out of this better than when they came in is yeah. probably, probably a big motivating factor for him to kind of hurry up and just, you know, decide to take up the mantle of, of being a leader. So there's that. He he has some doubt, but he has, like I said, this is the Spider-Man that I like, that he has uncertainty and he has doubt, but his sense of responsibility and his sense of duty to doing what needs to be done outweighs that. And, you know, he kind of sucks it up. Like, you know, heavy is the head to wear is the crown. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, he doesn't have to like being in charge but it's necessary to save in the day yeah he's got to get the job done yeah there's a saying i've i've heard from like military people you want to give the command to the guy that either wants it the least is willing to accept it but not too willing just because you don't want to give too much power to somebody who doesn't understand what it means to have that kind of power. Yeah, you want them to be cautious yeah. uh, with and make the smart moves. You want to give it to the person that will utilize it the best, but not necessarily that that's not necessarily the person that wants it the most. That's and right. That's Peter. That's Peter all over. He's he's the one that's, you know, going to going to do the right thing every time. He won't necessarily like it and he won't necessarily want it, but he'll do it. That comes into play a little bit later. Like we've mentioned, you know, also going back to when we talk about nothing to stop the juggernaut, we talk about we talked about Peter's sense of guilt. That's going to come up again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have words about that. I'm not going to like it all that much, but actually, no, because we, we went we went over part four, didn't we? Yeah, that's uh, that's in here. Yeah. The mecha, you know, the uh, Japanese, you know, spider mecha. Yeah. It's a cool visual and it's a cool moment where he comes and crashes the scene and he basically amounts to distracting Solus long enough for everybody else to kind of break Get out the hell of that person. Yeah. But the mech suit gets smashed uh, at the time. Peter thinks that, you know, the guy that uh, Takuya, who is the, you know, the Spider-Man of that universe, he he at the time thinks he that he was killed by Solas. He doesn't know. Eventually, later on, we find out he made it out alive. Yep. When Peter's guilt reads, rears its ugly head. And once again, we hear, you know, that I wrote it down. I wrote every quote, every important quote uh, in my notes. And I wrote in red ink, uh, Peter saying in this issue, when that happens, this is all my fault. Mm-hmm. With a big, with a big, you know, with a big, angry, frowny face next to it. Mm-hmm. Because I hate that. Because it's overplayed and it's overused. Like Peter's, especially like under slot, like this is one thing that really rubs me the wrong way about the way uh, slot writes peter like he writes that you know it's all my fault thing like it's a catchphrase like mm. peter has guilt issues we yeah get we want we want our characters to move forward and when we continue to see repeats of that emotional stumbling block i can understand it's there i mean everybody's got some type of guilt but to continue to remind us over and over that he he feels guilty for something that's happening blames himself yeah it just feels like we're we're not getting anywhere um kind of lost in all of this is what's going on with spider woman with uh, jessica drew 
Which mm-hmm. this is six one six Jessica Drew. There's two different Jessica Drews r- running around in this story. Makes fun writing a synopsis out. Trust me. I I know. Yeah. <laughs> short long story short, one of them is from the main six one six universe. This is this is Jessica Drew that that uh, has been around since I think the seventies. You know, Spider Woman, red and yellow costume with the web wings. Who was in the Avengers? Sometimes you know, good character, better cosplay. And there's there's another Jessica Drew who is. In, you know who's in the ultimate universe who was actually a clone female like a female clone of Peter Parker who I guess eventually joined S.H.I.E.L.D. and became uh, the ultimate universe's Black Widow yeah so she had a really cool arc in the in Ultimate Spider-Man I actually really liked her in Ultimate Spider-Man I actually liked her costume in Ultimate Spider-Man a lot better than the Black Widow costume that put, put her in in, uh, in Scarlet Spiders but that's just me splitting hairs about art again <laughs> Spider-Woman the three issues of Spider-Woman that tie into Spider-Verse they're probably the worst issues the worst tie-in issues in my opinion I might I might agree yeah one because there's not a whole lot of bearing on the plot until the end there's three issues by the way in my notes I marked down each each tie-in issue and each main issue in I, I put a, I, I put like a little highlighter mark and each color corresponds to a different level of relevance to the main story okay that just helps me keep it straight. Yeah, Spider-Woman was not high on that uh, relevancy. Yeah, uh, and as a matter of fact, I think at one point, if you're going by the checklist, there's an issue of Amazing Spider-Man. It might be coming up. I don't know. But there's an issue of Amazing Spider-Man where you learn a, a lot of what happened in the Spider-Woman book. And then when you get to the Spider-Woman book, it's like half the book. You've yeah. already it's, it's almost feels like you've well, I've read everything here. I, I know. Mean, it, is, I know exactly which one you're talking about. It's towards the end. <laughs> actually yeah that's what i thought yeah exactly what you're talking about ironically that's the issue that has the most relevancy on the main plot is the one that they rehashed (laughs) in the main plot so yeah most of it is just them trying to track down silk spider-man noir gets into ends up getting knocked on the head and they're like well let's drop him off at his own home and then i think spider gwen gets involved uh and she's just kind of like hanging out on loom world uh taking the spot of her doppelganger try to throw in so much stuff that's like in any other series would have been pretty awesome they throw in pirates and they pirate namor that's supposedly namor and i'm like oh i didn't even catch that yeah at the very at the very end it's mentioned that that's namor not mentioned any time in the beginning okay well you got one up on me on that (laughs) Okay. I had no idea I, until that we I got soaring over my head. I was right there with you until Our, that, that reveal at the very end. I guess, they just, I, and they just casually mentioned it too. I guess uh, I'll get checked out by that point, man. I got. <laughs> I don't know. Dennis Hopeless wrote the three issues of Spider-Woman. I've heard, like, I know some people are fans of his. I'm sure there are better series that he's written. This one, it, it was done no favors that you start a series having to tie into something like some other huge crossover. So, you know, I don't give him too much a hard time for that. What I will give a hard time for is the artwork. Uh, Spider-Woman was drawn by Greg Land. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, you, not, uh, I'm not a fan of for multiple reasons. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about the guy, so I I uh, sent videos and some some links to some things. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, I won't get into it too much over here because it's just a long story that doesn't deserve good getting into. I'm not a big fan of Greg Land's artwork. He has a reputation for uh, tracing artwork and tracing photography from uh, dubious sources. That's all I'll say about that for now. Okay, I will elaborate on that in private but anybody who's listening to this many who are listening to this probably know what i'm talking about at the very very least the his drawings of women tend to be really samey from my taste like okay. they tend of his women tend to look way too much alike uh you know he's not the worst storyteller in the world but they, they come better and sometimes you know sometimes the facial expressions he draws are just really not terribly appropriate to the story you know to what the story's trying to get across they just look kind of generic and you know depending on who you ask that can also be chalked up to the tracing i'm just saying this is just my opinion on that feel free to disagree but mm-hmm. do's artwork is not not really my cup of tea okay at, at the end of the day so that made it a little bit harder to get through the spider woman series it didn't help that like i said a lot of this stuff just had no point no relation to you know moving the nah. across I think the big thing that we get out of there is the scrolls are ported to Peter, which, I mean, that helps elaborate on the prophecy. Which also gets retreaded elsewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The the other thing is, is that we find out, like, you know, Moreland has a, you know, has a libido and he has a type, which I could go my whole life not knowing. There's this whole alternate universe Jessica drew in the Inheritor universe that was a handmaiden to Moreland, who they, yeah. I guess, had going on. And I'm like, not in this series, bro. You're not taking <laughs> my interest in this. Move on. This is not the time or the place. Don't need it. Don't need it. If this was something else, something, you know, if this was a different series, I might be down to learn about this, but not now. <laughs> so, yeah. About to wrap this sucker up. So here we go. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man part, uh, excuse me, Amazing Spider-Man number 13 and 14, parts 5 and 6 to the Spider-Man verse storyline here part five issue 13 art by giuseppe Camancoli, Camancoli, and then art by olivier coipel uh for the sixth part on issue 14 so here we go the inheritors are trying to discern what they should do next as so far they have been un- unable to squash the army of spiders that plague them now thanks to the work of the scarlet spiders ben riley kane parker and jessica drew the inheritors have lost their ability to clone their bodies however they take comfort in the fact they have been able to capture the scion which is a very important part of their prophecy remember that's baby benny or benji back at the bunker uncle ben tells the story of how he was bitten by the spider giving him the spider-man powers but after his wife and nephew were killed by that world's green goblin which the emerald elf whose idea was that God, uh, the Emerald Elf. So when his uh, wife and nephew were killed by the Emerald Elf, Ben quit being a superhero. The world was then laid to waste due to one of Doc Ock's schemes. So let's stop real quick. I mean, just tell, give me your thoughts on Ben here. You know what what he's gone through, what he's gone through, and where he's at. Yeah, I I like where this went. I like the the backstory of how he came to be. You know, in the fallout shelter and all that, and it 
it ends up being uh, a very big focal point of the Spider-Girl story that yeah. the Spider-Girl team reunite to, to tell. If nothing else, you know, that came out of it, which is great. But also, I absolutely love the idea. Like, I, I forgot about this part when I reread it. I remember the part about, you know, the dimension where, like, everything was destroyed by, you know, nuclear war. I forgot that Otto Octavius caused it. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. Because then, yeah, like, Ock and Peter's body has to listen to this and is like... Exactly. It's like, really? Wait, what? What? Ben tells it in in the story that he's telling. He explicitly says, he's like, Octavius was a genius. He was brilliant, but he was also arrogant. He was also, you know, a megalomaniac. And he didn't understand that his experiment, you know, went too far and that he couldn't control it once once it went too far also you would think that this would influence this would influence octavius in a in a positive way we turn out it turns out later on it doesn't it's if anything it pushes him even farther to exactly. do more extreme things that he may not have otherwise done which is once again like that's octavius he's a super villain you know he's not going to have the most healthy responses to you know this this sort of thing yeah we it, it's a sad story that he that he tells he ends up going to the same science exhibition as Peter. He ends up getting bitten by the spider instead. This is what I love. Like, I love seeing stuff like this because, you know, it gets it's alluded to in other stories. Like he does. He says, I, I, tr- he, I tried to do what a good man would do who has these powers. Mm-hmm. And it, did, it ends up not working out for him. He loses his wife and, and Peter. I can't remember specifically if Ezekiel pops up and offers him the same deal he offered Peter and he offered Silk. Yeah, he finds himself in the same uh, shelter, in the same bomb shelter as all of this destruction happens around him and he and he kind of contemplates like, you know, maybe I could have stopped Doc. Maybe I would have just made it worse. Is really relatable. If you set Peter and this, this world's Ben side by side, if you look at him emotionally and what drives them is obviously you're going to say, well, it's practically the same thing. It's, it's interesting that this, you know, this world's Spider-Man, Ben Parker, he quit. He was so overwhelmed with what happened to him that again, you mentioned it earlier, Dan Slott with the guilt, 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 Ben Parker. That's the one thing that causes him to stop being Spider-Man. He feels so guilty for what happened to his, his family, he said, I, I can't do this anymore. Of course, that resulted in some horrific things happening to that world because he didn't, he probably wasn't Spider-Man at the time. But it's interesting when you think about the great power comes great responsibility. That is a central focus of the character of Spider-Man. That responsibility, it's not just great power comes great responsibility, thumbs up. I mean, there is a lot of downside to that. You feel responsible for the the good things that happen and you feel responsible for the bad things that happen and that can weigh on somebody uh, and in this case it weighed on Ben Parker enough to where he said I'm not doing it anymore and bad like I said bad things happen it is at this point that I would like to thank you for giving me an opportunity to transition into uh, a story into 
talking a little bit more about that uh, DeFalco, Ron Friends, uh, Spider-Girl story. Yeah. It takes place very shortly after this little exchange where, where Ben tells his story. I wrote down the quote that, that Ben tells Mayday Parker during that time, during that story where they're just arguing back and forth. And, and uh, even in, in the actual uh, issue, of, in the actual you know part four of Spider-Verse, Mayday Parker is just not having it whatsoever. Like yeah. she tells him a no one's, in no uncertain terms, you copped out, you quit, you gave up, you shirked your responsibilities, and the entire world suffered because of it. And now look at what happened because you didn't do something when you could have. And he says, like, you know, I don't, I don't know about Peter in your universe, but the Peter in my universe would have been ashamed of you. Like, really, like, cutting, harsh stuff. Yeah, she ain't holding back, dude. Yeah, that extends that continues into the into the you know the side story that happens in spider-verse team up spider-verse team up number three she basically mayday parker basically resolves to she's like i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go into to the loom world and i'm going to rescue my brother and if nobody else is gonna come with me give me a transporter and i'll go myself i don't care then parker tries to talk her out of it and tries to kind of counsel her and doesn't really work there was one quote that i read here that i was like i have to write this down because i haven't heard this quote you i haven't heard this play on words used in quite this way i don't think ever um once again you get tom defalco you get somebody like tom defalco writing this and writing it in the framework of characters that he's familiar with and you know he basically created mayday parker so yeah he's in his wheelhouse and it's pretty it hits it hit me hard man what ben parker tells her is because she she recites you know the the old classic spider-man idiom you know with great power comes great responsibility Mm -hmm. and he corrects her and he corrects her with the actual quote that stan lee actually wrote in amazing fantasy 15 with great power there must also come great responsibility which is how stan wrote it Mm -hmm. and i don't think anybody ever gives too much thought to the difference between those the the way those two things are worded but tom defalco actually did and he actually put it into words and it it hit me hard but it hit me harder than i expected he says you know a subtle but profound difference there's no guaranteed link between power and responsibility too many focus on the former without any regard for the latter that's something you only get out of one a good writer somebody who's a good writer in the first place and two somebody who studied who knows who knows the spider-man and you know tom defalco was oh yeah he used to be editor-in-chief at marvel he's written a lot of spider-man he yeah knows, <laughs> he knows his stuff so that was I, the only thing i wish is that i actually kind of wish that had had more of an effect on may in in the story it yeah. kind of doesn't but it's so it's such a good line it's such a good moment where you know he actually kind of deconstructs that phrase and it's like yes yeah. with great power does not automatically come great responsibility that's the whole reason why spider-man became spider-man because he got he gained great power and you know he squandered it he didn't the great responsibility only came after tragedy that's right the way stan wrote and i'm sure stan didn't intend this the way he wrote it but the way he wrote it you know was open enough to interpretation for you know other people to pick up the thread and yeah with great power there must also come great 
great responsibility, mm-hmm. not necessarily automatically. Sometimes you kind of have to work for it. You kind of have right. to work, work. That's Peter's whole thing, too, is that, you know, throughout his history, he's had sometimes he had to work at at being a good person. It didn't always come natural. I've, I've mentioned this in other other times before. That's what makes Spider-Man so relatable is that he sometimes he's kind of a douchebag. Like he <laughs> if he doesn't kind of correct himself and kind of, you know, he has to work at being a good person sometimes. Sometimes it's it's harder to do that than others. That's an important thing to remember. Yeah. And it's it's central to every Spider-Man story, including this one. Some writers lose sight of that too. When you say too many people, you know, too many focus on the former without any regard for the latter, that can go for the people that are writing the character just as much as the characters themselves. Hey, it's plug time, and you all know what that means. This would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. That is going to be the end of this installment of Source Material's coverage of Spider-Verse. As far as plugs go, Benjamin J. Cologne can be found at EpicBenjaminJ on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure to keep an eye out for his sketchbook Saturday posts featuring some of his amazing art. You can find Source Material on Facebook at Source Material Podcast and on Twitter at Source Matcast. To put it simply, we're kind of like a book club for comics. I also do a podcast called Unspoken Issues that talks 90s comics in association with the unspokendecade.com. And of course, make sure to check out the Rattelichin Broadcasting Network on Facebook and Twitter to stay in the loop on all the shows coming up this week. We've got something dropping daily, so there is never a lack of content. Appreciation also goes out to w2mnet.com for hosting the show. And with that being said, make sure to watch out for the next part of Source Materials discussion on Marvel's Spider-Verse.